Welcome to Wrong Think Radio. I'm your host, Aaron, broadcasting from just outside the nation's capital in beautiful northern Virginia. And I'm Alan, coming to you from the lovely and overcast greater Seattle metropolitan area. And this is Wrong Think Radio. Sorry, everybody, for those of you who tuned in on time. We had some audio issues because apparently I can't do nice things without things exploding around me. So, hooray. Um, Mostly, I was trying to switch an audio source because I have a guest in the studio today who's hanging out with me. Most of you know him as Old Goat on our chat. Um, And I wanted to make sure he could hear all of the programs so he wasn't just looking at me shouting at a wall. And the simple act of swapping over where a speaker is caused everything to just explode because why wouldn't it? Of course. So... But kicking off the program for those of you, because I'm going to delete the old one. One of the things that we were kind of bringing up and discussing was the idea that there are a lot of distractions that are going on in the fact that we saw all the vaccine mandates that came from Biden. And a lot of people look at this and say, oh, he's obviously just trying to distract from uh, he's trying to distract from the whole Afghan crisis and what was going on there. But there is obviously some, you know, though that's true, uh, because why wouldn't it help the news cycle? It's also sort of the, like, inevitability. Like, we all knew that this was going to come. Like, how could the government not? How could the government not overreach like they did? Oh, certainly. It's uh, it's incredible. It is... Mm-hmm. An incredible level of overreach by the government to mandate a vaccine like this nationwide under OSHA rules. It essentially violates the concept of bodily autonomy, which is one of the core co- foundations of the idea of personal liberty. It is nothing short of a tyrannical view on the actual civil rights that the government thinks that we should have. It's it's clear that they do not care about the Constitution or the principles that support it as evidenced by their willingness to even propose something like this nationwide vaccine mandate. Well, and what I find interesting in in reference to that is. It's it's kind of it's kind of a it's kind of a mess because they were just arguing the Texas law and the Texas law, like what we discussed last week, it was all about the whole, it's supposed to be the whole, my body, my choice deal. Correct. Right. But now not. And what, in, in a hilarious, uh, effect of terrible messaging, you had Kamala Harris on the exact same day making comments about the Texas law that 100% in no uncertain terms contradict what Joe Biden was about to do. So either the administration's not talking to each other, which is possible, or they don't care. Right. Like, for whatever reason, their base, the the liberal base, is more obsessed with going after the people they don't like um, that they will specifically ignore the obvious fallacies that exist when you when you look at these types of like the 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 logical but basically the logical leaps it takes to protest the texas law because it tells people what they can and cannot do when it comes to body autonomy but uh large-scale federal vaccine mandates totally fine exactly 
the hypocrisy doesn't matter for them. Right. It's not something they even process or even consider. It is simply my f- enemies want this, therefore I will find any argument to oppose it, versus my allies want this, therefore I will find any argument to support it. There is no core foundational belief amongst the left that they truly hold sacred other than winning. And that is exactly what is on display here. They oppose what happened, the, the, the Texas abortion laws because their enemies want, because they see it as an enemy victory. They support vaccine mandates because they see it as an allied victory. Well, no, and that's exactly it. Here's, here is from the day that we saw Biden uh, go and yell at America uh, because grandpa got angry. Um, this is Kamala Harris the exact same day. Here's the words that she had uh, when it came to uh, when she was talking about the Texas uh, abortion law or Texas uh, abortion mandate. Let me. Uh, oh, OK, sure. And uh, today, you know, I simply want to talk also about what happens when um, when we do the right thing which is to provide all people with access to health care. Because we made a statement a long time ago that we agree that it is a human right, should be thought of as a civil right, for all people to have access to health care, regardless of their gender, regardless of their status, regardless of where they live. And so when we move closer, to our national goal of women's full participation in our nation, including ensuring that all women have access to health care, including reproductive health care, I believe we will be a stronger nation. I believe we will be closer to what we say we hold as an ideal, which is all people are equal and should be treated that way, including their access to essential services. So for me, this is truly an issue that is about full participation. And in that way, we know that when all people are able to fully participate, our democracy is stronger and everyone benefits. And in that way, this issue connects to everyone. Um, When people are able to design their lives in a way that they can determine their own futures, we are a stronger democracy and we are a stronger nation. When people are able to make choices without government interference, for themselves in terms of their well-being and the well-being of their family in consultation with whomever they may choose, we are a stronger society. So the entire premise of what Kamala Harris just said is, in summary, first of all, she claims the Texas law somehow she says that they're trying to move towards women's full participation in our in our society. I don't really know where women aren't fully participating in our society and are unable to. Um, But okay, (laughs) so I, I don't understand the fallacy of that whole deal. But also, she said, when we move to. When people are able to make choices without government interference for themselves in terms of their well-being and the well-being of their family, we're a stronger society. Okay. The same day 
that Joe Biden went out and said that you don't get to make your own health care choices. You're going to be forced to get vaccinated. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's friend, good, enemy, bad. Right. And, And it's amazing because part of the reason why I played the entire clip is a lot of this also hinges on one of their ultimate goals of the left, which is they want to have complete and total government dominance in health care because as much yeah. as people don't I mean, I think people realize it, but I don't think people realize in in full um, exactly how it really fits. And it is that these people like the government having control over your health care gives them dominion over a lot of things. And we're seeing this a lot in coronavirus, like the coronavirus response. I don't think people realized um, if there's one good thing that can be seized upon, if the GOP wasn't just constantly reacting to what CNN said, they would come to the realization that this is exactly why you should have been arguing against uh, socialized medicine and things like Obamacare. And this this should be a reprisal of those arguments again. And they're missing the mark on that because exactly what you're seeing when it comes to coronavirus is why you don't give the government those types of control over liberty because they can use health as an excuse for just about anything. Yeah. Like, if you thought... And and the reason why is this. If you thought national security was a great excuse for government tyranny, just wait until public health becomes the new clarion call, which it already is in a lot of ways. Yeah. And so, yeah, like, I, I, I don't it's it's crazy because it's usually not this obvious. It's usually not obvious enough for me to be able to just sit there and go, oh, yeah, they're they're just trying to basically push complete and total federal control when it comes to healthcare and things like that. But also it's, I think it is as annoying as it might be. um, But as Alan points out, it's great to be able to sit there and say, you know, this is exactly it. They don't care about the inconsistencies of the argument. And part of that could be just because they want to drive you insane, but they, it's very obvious that they don't care because the vice president is sitting there saying, oh my gosh, the worst thing that could ever happen to this democracy in the history of ever is people not having bodily autonomy. And then the president says, "Uh, you have to get vaccinated or we're literally going to basically just remove you from society. Right. And it all make, it's all logically coherent when you realize how the, the left views the world and functions. Their entire goal is not to tell the truth. It's not to operate as your neighbors, as your friends. It's not to operate as a cohesive society. It is to operate as a revolutionary movement ushering ushering in a new world order. They think they are saving the world. And they are willing to do, and anything is on the table for them to do that. It doesn't, like lying, cheating, stealing... Being hypocrites, it's all justified because their their ends are justifying their means, which is why they don't care about hypocrisy. They don't care about telling the truth, and they will bald. They will say two totally contradictory things seconds apart, but it doesn't bother them because if those things result in a win, 
then they are the right and good things to do. Well, in, in that in that same vein, um, it's the whole, you know, they think they're saving the world. <clears throat> the good point to make about that is the who they're saving the world from. And they're saving the world from you. Yes. They, yeah, they're they, saving the world from normal people. Right. Because these normal people are too dumb. They don't get it. They're dumb and they're selfish and they're not going to end climate change because they like driving their car too much. And they're not going to... Um, you, you know, they, they, they want to have their, you know, wonderful American life with their two and a half kids or whatever, whatever the statistical yeah. thing is and not think about overpopulation, you know, they're right. not going to eat the right foods. They're not going to yeah. donate to the right causes. You're all basic. It's maybe, maybe, maybe this is, you know, a little too obvious to make the statement, but for the group that constantly talks about quote, democracy, they really don't like anybody having an opinion that they don't want them to have. Right. To them, it's all about people will make bad choices if allowed the freedom to make them. Therefore, they must be prevented from making bad choices. They do not like the idea of individual freedom because and competition between people because of, it makes things inefficient. They are actively they, their end goal is a totalitarian state with absolutely zero freedom because that in that world there will the bad things won't happen. That is their utopia because everything will be so controlled that there will not be space for bad things to be allowed to happen. There's their whole attachment to democracy and liberty and that is all just a lie that they are using because it is a convenient vehicle to push forward their agenda. Right. And the, well, the amazing part is, is that they're going to do it the entire time while telling you. Yes. How democratic, how democratic their, their tyranny is. Um, right. Because at the end goal, what are they trying to liberate people from? It's not liberty. They're not trying to liberate people and have democracy for the sake of simply having it, they are essentially a, again, they're a revolutionary movement that seeks to liberate people from natural forces, to liberate people from entropy, to liberate you know, governor, the all these bad things that happen. Right. It, it's an in, it is a incoherent and ridiculous ideology, but it is an extremely dangerous one because it is incoherent. It has poorly defined end states so that that means you can twist that end state to justify any means currently. It's going to be so good that it doesn't matter what we do now because it's going to be so good. And at the end of the day, what is what the end state really is, because because it remains undefined. What that tells you is that the end state doesn't matter as much as the means that they're going to use. They desire the power and control to produce any end state they want. They are claiming that that end state is going to be really good, but because they leave it undefined, it betrays that the true motivation of the left is power and control. And that is also explains a lot of the cultural degeneracy we see, which is entirely designed to make it impossible for normal people to band together to oppose them taking unprecedented control because we're going to be too factionated, 
too split up. We're going to be at war with ourselves and will prevent us from opposing them as a unified group. Right. And, and here's a response that came. Um, this is uh, Ron DeSantis, governor of Florida. This is his response to the mandates that Biden put forward. The, uh, this was the response that he gave to the press when he was asked about actions he was going to take. Uh, here's here's that clip. You know, Governor, the president had a lot to say yesterday, and he didn't say your name, but obviously was referring to you. What do you have to say to him back when it came to about the mask mandates? Well, I would just say generally, when you're taking action that's unconstitutional, that threatens the jobs uh, of the people in my state, uh, many, many thousands of jobs, uh, I'm standing for them. We're going to protect their jobs against federal overreach. And this is a guy who criticizes the state of Florida for protecting parents' rights. He says school boards should be able to eliminate parents' rights and force five-year-old kids to wear masks all day. That's what he thinks is appropriate government. Yet, here he comes from Washington, D.C., instituting an unprecedented mandate, which even his own people have acknowledged in the past is not constitutional. That's not leadership. And I think the problem I have with Joe Biden more than anything, this guy doesn't take responsibility for anything. He's always trying to blame other people, blame other states. This is a guy that promised when he ran for president that he would shut down the virus. If you look now, there's 300% more cases in this country today than a year ago when we had no vaccines at all. So his policies are not working. He's doubling down on things that are going to be very destructive for the livelihoods of many, many Americans and obviously going to be destructive uh, to our constitutional system and the rule of law. And so these are times uh, when you believe in that Constitution, uh, you got to stand up. And obviously the substantive issue is important because there, there are places that are going to toss aside people who've worked. They've worked this whole time throughout COVID. Now all of a sudden they should be tossed aside. They were working when nobody had vaccine. You don't know their history. You don't know why they're making decisions that they're making. Many of these people have already recovered and they have immunity. The idea that somehow uh, you have somebody that gets a Johnson and Johnson, they can work, but someone that's got natural immunity somehow can't, that natural immunity is strong. So it's not based on science. And you can say he's saying he's losing patience with people. You know, at the end of the day, we don't live um, with a one person rule in this country. We live in a constitutional system which people's rights are respected, but particularly in this juncture, their livelihoods and their jobs have to be protected. I mean, just think about, you know, what this mandate would do. It's going to drive people out of work, out of hospitals, out of all this stuff where you have a need for people. So it's totally counterproductive. And I think it'll ultimately lose in court. But be in, be before that, you know, there needs to be action taken uh, to protect the people of our state and hopefully of the entire United States. Nobody should lose their job based on this decision. Now, one of the things that I'll note there is so that that's just Ron DeSantis and last count that I saw 26 other states basically jumped on board to say F off when it came to these mandates. Awesome. And secondarily, uh, 
like he does point one of the things that I will I will, you know, give DeSantis his due. He points out the immunity, the natural immunity like we it's it feels like you're taking crazy pills. And so to the audience, I understand I, I feel for you in, in this in this reference of. We all watched them adjust the science itself. They rewrote the entire narrative to push these to push these dumb ideas, and they do it like on a weekly basis. Science mm-hmm. literally changes. The CDC has actually updated the the definition of vaccines just to fit the idiocy of what they're doing when it comes to the coronavirus. It yeah. instead of saying provides an immunity, it says provides protection. Yeah. And that's not based on anything. It's not like vaccines in general all changed. It's that the coronavirus vaccine doesn't seem to be doing the things that vaccines are supposed to do, but that's verboten to talk about. I'm sorry? It's it seems to be a complete failure. The coronavirus vaccine is, in my estimation, a complete failure. It doesn't provide immunity from the disease. It doesn't prevent transmission of the disease. It doesn't do hardly anything positive at all. It is a failure. Even if there is some, it reduces symptoms if you catch coronavirus, it's still a failure. It is still a complete failure of a medical intervention. It's like, if I bought a car that I was expecting to be able to take road trips in, but it could only drive me to the store and back before breaking down, I wouldn't call it a successful vehicle. If I bought anything for it and it didn't work for its intended purpose, I would still call it a complete failure. If I bought a computer and all it could do was run Minesweeper, but not actually connect to the internet or use Windows or read my emails, that would be a failure of a computer. I, and if anyone said, well, it runs Minesweeper, so that's like kind of good enough, everyone should get it. I was like, no, it's a failure of a product. The vaccine is a complete failure because it doesn't do what we wanted it to do. Like, oh, great, maybe it reduces some symptoms. Yeah, well, a lot of things can do that, so it doesn't matter. And I think that that is something I find very shocking, is that when it has been revealed that the vaccine doesn't provide immunity... It doesn't prevent transmission. Those are the things that we needed it to do if we were to take everything at face value on this whole pandemic is it needs to prevent infection and it needs to stop people from being able to spread it. It doesn't do those two things. Therefore, it should be declared a failure. These companies should go back to the drawing board and I guess come up with vaccine version two. Although I'm relatively skeptical about a lot of this, but if we're saying this is all above board, that would be the rational explanation and demand right now is they should say, well, it doesn't do the thing we want it to do. Let's halt completely the deployment of this vaccine because it does not work at what it's designed for. I guess we have to go back to the drawing board, but we don't live in a world where that's sane enough to do that. Instead, it was was hailed as the vaccine shall save us all. It has descended down from on high to all of us poor, poor infectious sinners and will deliver us unto the promised land. And thus, 
that's why the government's pushing it. That's why everybody's pushing it. It's also making all these companies billions upon billions of dollars. It's like well, any, yeah. any drug, any drug that is making billions of dollars will probably be considered safe and effective. Well, and that's, yeah, I mean, yeah, there's, there's, there's also all of that. I, I, we've consistently had to point out the hilarity of, oh, wow, like it, shocking how the left is suddenly the biggest advocate when it comes to big pharma. But at the same time, you know, it, it does need to be noted. Like, obviously I will say I'm, I'm very happy to see a lot of Republican governors right now just flat out going, yeah, we're not going to do that, which tells me something because I don't want to be completely cynical all the time towards the GOP. Um, But let's just be honest, they're really squishy, especially because we are heading into, you know, an election year uh, next year for a, a lot of a lot of different seats. So they're typically what we'll see is a lot of squishiness, as we say, from the Republican Party. There's something to be said to the idea that these governors are saying, yeah, no, we're, we're just we're not we're not going to go along with this. That shows yeah. that there is a large scale uh, public uh, support for not going yes. along with it. And what we really need is from the like GOP leadership of people like Ronna McDaniel to stop being a the stop using the the Romney part of her uh, genetics and and start using literally anything uh, else but the Romney aspect of her genetics and flat out say don't comply instead of playing the game of like I get it like oh like oh what what Joe Biden's doing is so unconstitutional yeah how many times have we heard the GOP tell us how unconstitutional something the democrats are doing is and then it still just yeah. happens because the democrat response is okay yeah the, the <laughs> what, constitution what are you do about it? the constitution is just a piece of paper it doesn't do anything and it can't protect you from anything only when people with power are re respect the Constitution is the only time it has any teeth. It's the only time it matters is when people with power respect the Constitution and feel like they are constrained by it. Otherwise, it's just a piece of paper. What's to stop the government from doing something unconstitutional? Well, all these laws, all the, all the things in the Constitution, that only matters if there is accountability for those things. And accountability only comes from force. Someone with power has to be willing to prosecute force against the people breaking the – against the people defying the Constitution. And if they're not willing to do that, then the Constitution cannot – doesn't do anything. The Constitution is a vehicle for people with force to use that force against tyrants seeking to go against the constitution the gop has demonstrated time and again that they are not willing to use force political or otherwise against people that against government entities that defy the constitution therefore you can say both parties have abandoned the constitution the let the democrats have abandoned it and are actively working to subvert it and the Republican refusal to stand up for the Constitution and in use force to ensure that it is not violated, their abdication of that responsibility shows that they don't care about it either. Right. And so 
basically what I mean, what I really want to see is everybody to just say don't comply with it because yeah. Well, and, and there's a couple of good things that can come out of this. Actually, a couple of good things that can come out of a lot of what's been going on lately, which is, you know, from the whole fundamental aspect of things when it comes to the differences between political positions is states need to have states need to take back a lot of the rights that they had given up to the federal government. And these are good ways for that to happen i would like to have thought that the election would have been a good time for that to happen but we saw just a lot of cowardly reactions to it uh in the idea of these wide sweeping you know coronavirus rules that were used that you know resulted in middle of the night ballot drops that we're all very well aware of uh you know this is the time that you that you can really see the movement towards states taking back power that had basically since I would say about the probably longer, but about the mid eighties, a lot of states just started ceding power to the federal government. The federal government became more and more bloated, obviously, since it's, you know, yesterday was the the 20th anniversary of September 11th. That was a huge moment as well, where we basically as a country just gave up wholesale a lot of our rights yeah and you know i think that there's actually while this is a decent enough segue uh though we'll we'll kind of go back and forth when it comes to vaccine stuff because i think that this actually ties together really well and i've i've tried to do the um tie together before but it's it's great now because we have the you know comparison when we're looking at um coronavirus and September 11th so starkingly like next to each other you had hilariously everybody anyone who remembers the years when George Bush was around you know when he was president he was literally Hitler to the media and the left but yesterday he's a hero because he talked about domestic extremism and so lame I don't know how you don't see that as a dog whistle because, and let me explain early on when the Patriot Act was first being pushed through post September 11th, the Democrat party was freaking out over the amount of civil civil liberties that were being taken. And the story that was basically being told was what happens when evil literally Hitler George Bush decides that he is going to make Democrats terrorists and then prosecute his political enemies using the Patriot Act that was the giant concern right and then that didn't happen you know in the eight years of Bush's presidency but we did start seeing things like that get weaponized under Obama And fascinatingly enough, we saw Obama and the Democrat Party, once Obama was in power, they didn't do anything to get rid of this supposed trampling of civil liberties. In fact, they expanded it in some ways. They funded it even more. They kept signing the National Defense Authorization Act that contained the Patriot Act in it. They didn't let it die. So now that they had the power, it was suddenly this, uh, oh, well, I mean, you don't want the terrorists to win, right? 
And we were already seeing the groundwork be laid for exactly what's going on today. I mean, I think five years ago on this show, we brought up the uh, memorandum from the first uh, director of Homeland Security under Obama, where they had a memorandum going around where they were trying to list veterans who were returning from combat zones and people who flew the Gadsden flag as potential extremists. And now look at where we're at. Yeah. But yeah, I, I think that hilariously to a lot of people to see the fawning of the media over a speech by George W. Bush, where he's just echoing the same talking points as CNN and MSNBC. I think more so than this idea that like, I don't think the left was emboldened by it because they still hate the guy. There's no way that they just stopped hating him. But I think it showed the game to a lot of people. I, I, I think if there were any hangers on, I mean, there's still some I've, seen them on Twitter and it's kind of sad to see, but if there were any hangers on in the GOP that were like, well, maybe Bush isn't as bad as everybody starts, you know, everybody tells me you hear him basically say the same garbage that you've heard from Joe Biden and his press secretary and like, you know, Rachel Maddow. I think everybody went, Oh, okay. So the reason why in the two thousands, even though our guy was in office, uh, things still were garbage and progressivism still seemed to get bigger. I think you just found out why, because it was yeah. the uniparty. Right. Yeah. This is a really good example for people who are have not understood how we got where we are to see a good example of that. The, these sort of neocons that filled the Republican Party in the 90s and 2000s are on the same team as the Democrat Party today. They're on the same team as Obama. They were on the same team as Clinton. Those group of people are all on the same team, as evidenced by George W. Bush. They told us that they represented different interests, but at the end of the day, they never delivered on things for who they supposedly supported, but they all delivered on the same promises to the same group of global elites. For example, do you rem I rem certainly remember that George W. Bush was co considered, oh, it's the Christian right and the Christian conservatives and these evangelical votes got him in office. What did he ever deliver, deliver on for those voters? Anything? No? No, just no, there was just a whole lot of panty yeah. wedding over the idea that he was in office. Yeah. Almost as if people on the left came up with that and used it as a way to distract from the fact that George W. Bush wasn't doing anything to promote the interests of the people that elected him because he could always say, well, I'd love to, but you see, oh, oh, how the left doth attack me. I certainly cannot deliver upon promises to you, mine voters. Please elect me again. It seems like they're all they were it's a big game and they were all in on it together. Yeah, it, it, it's it's funny because I mean this could get just chalked up to stupidity, right? Like it is it it could be either or. It could be some great conspiracy that they're all on the same team and the, just chuckling, which is entirely possible. Or it could honestly just be that most of our politicians are dumb and just do whatever they're told. 
and all of these consultant groups are just having the time of their lives. Okay, well, then all the consultant mm -hmm. groups are on the same team, but the end right. result is the politicians are not making decisions for the people that elected them. They're making decisions decisions for an essentially unelected minority. Well, because this is, this is why I, I, I'm saying this, because this is what fascinates me. If you're George W. Bush, how do you not remember your eight years in office when you were dragged through the mud? Think about it. I'm, I'm actually going to give people this perspective. I don't know if a lot of people paid. Maybe there's a lot of people in the audience that weren't as politically active during the early 2000s and don't really understand what went on. But think about it for a second. Number one, that was the beginning of the not my president deal. There were t-shirts. I remember people having t-shirts on that had like the face of George Bush on it. And it said, not my president that started in the early two thousands. Remember that there was the whole debate over Florida, whether or not Bush actually won. It was an illegitimate election. You know, Bush didn't really win. It was the Supreme court that like, you know, it was supposed to go to Al Gore. Um, and there were like TV shows that covered this. And so he was hated, reviled yeah. by the media. He was an idiot. He couldn't talk. He was such a moron. It was a bunch of gullible rubes that voted for him. And then September 11th happened. And there was some unity that happened for a little while after that, because of obviously, you know, a pretty traumatic event. But then it was, he's going into a rack for oil. He's a Nazi. Uh, his family was attacked. His supporters were attacked. All of these things happened. And any time, I mean, any news agency that like said anything nice about him was gone after they were trying to get Fox News off the air because they were just lying to everybody. And that's why George Bush, you know, was able to get elected because you all know, of the sheeple. Yeah, all, all the, the sheeple. sheeple who just went along with whatever the Republican had to say. All those dumb idiots in flyover country that were just just believing what the government had to say about you know war in Iraq, but it's actually for oil and Halliburton. Right. They had the Enron investigation where they were trying to get rid of you know, they they wanted to go after the entire administration there. Um so I don't what what amazes me is how George W. Bush doesn't sit there and look at Trump and go, man, I thought I had it bad. Yeah. And I think that that that's what actually impresses me is, is I don't know how you're not bitter. I don't know how uh, you, I, I know how I know exactly how go on. <laughs> He's not bitter because that was all a ploy. And he knew it. Yeah, that's, he was in on it. That's about the only thing that that's about the only conclusion you can really come to. Because like, it's almost as if they said, listen, all right, George, you're going to get into office and then you're going to launch an invasion of Iraq. And it's going to be really unpopular, but you're going to be the fall guy for it. You we're going to you can convince all of these dumb idiots in flyover country to vote for you because, you know, you're going to stay your pro-America and, you know, all these other things. And we're going to, like, rip you apart the whole time so that we can basically 
embitter and encourage our voter base because after you, guess what we're going to do? Well, guess what we're going to do after your eight years? We'll guarantee you eight years. Don't worry. But after you're done, we're going to get a black guy in. And that's going to be a big coup because then we can do whatever we want and no one's going to say we like criticize us because we'll call them racist. And I think George W. Bush was like, that's a great plan. I'm in. Wait, can I are we all going to make millions and millions of dollars off of, uh, you know, this whole like scam that we're going to scam America out of for the next 20 years? Oh, oh, yeah, we'll make millions. Don't worry, George. And George was like, that's great. I can accomplish that mission. Yeah, and I I think that, like, for those conservative pundits that really still want to, like, defend, like, especially in in the temporal sense, defend the speech by Bush. Because I've seen people say, he didn't mention any side. If you're saying that he was attacking the right, that says more about you than him. And it's like, dude, it's the same talking points, and you can't pretend like it's not the same talking points. I guess the question I would have to ask those people is why would George, why would someone like George W. Bush trust what the left-wing media has to say and what the Democrats have to say after the eight years he spent in office? The only reasonable answer is, is that he knew it was all a game. That's the only rational answer yeah. that you can really come up with because otherwise, like, let's just be honest. First of all, actually, let's just get to the kind of the brass tacks on it. What domestic extremism are they even talking about? He because here's the the reason why this is pissing people off so bad that I think a lot of people don't understand is that's obviously a dog whistle to the dumbass comparison of January 6th was totally just like 9/11 guys. How is that not exactly the intent of that of those statements? Yeah. That was the intent. Absolutely. And so, which, like, nobody believes that. Nobody actually believes that. There's there's no way. It, it. I just, I don't know a better way to say this, but I just wish that Americans had more self-respect for themselves that when they're blatantly lied to like that, it's just, like, I, I think that politicians should be terrified of lying like that to the American people. And it says worse things about us than it does about them because we just let them say dumb things like that with almost with, with like little to no recourse. Like yeah. how in God's name is anyone. And th there were a lot of hot takes yesterday, but seriously, nobody actually believes January 6th was the same as 9-11. 3,000 people dead after planes hit a tower is totally the same as boomers walking around uh, walking around the Capitol building. How? Yeah. No. And everyone knows that. Like anyone saying, oh, it's the worst thing since 9-11. They're lying and we all know they're lying. Well, and if you want to know why nobody like if you have if you feel that people just, you know, 20 years later, if you feel that people just weren't really embodying the respect that you think that September 11th deserves, I can definitely tell you if you feel that way, it's because that event has been so watered down by being used as a comparison to any time the Democrats um, are sad that's why 
And there were people literally defending this yesterday. There were verified accounts on Twitter of like politicians and professors all saying September 11th would be a more serious thing if January 6th hadn't happened. Now, I just want to remind everybody that, you know, we've got videos of Washington, D.C. on fire during Trump's inauguration. We have the summer 2020 riots where people's, you know, businesses were set on fire. All we all know this. There are constant, constant reports that you can go find. Just look up Portland any weekend and you will see you know, black masked figures running around Portland, beating regular citizens and harassing people every goddamn day. But, you know, Meemaw from Iowa walking around with a Trump 2020 flag in the Capitol is the worst thing we've ever seen. I don't know what there's no way that this isn't a psyop to make America feel like it's insane. There's no way that this yeah. is gaslighting to the point where people just go, I, I'm, I must be crazy because there's no there's no way that my countrymen actually believe this tripe. Not a single person well, in this country believes that September or sorry, not a single person in this country believes that January 6th was really any notable event. Yeah. And again, it's a lie and a hypocrisy, but it's coming from people that don't care about lies and hypocrisies. They only care about winning. And they have found that they can lie as much as they want and no one holds them accountable. And if they do, those voices can be diminished because of their control of the mainstream media. This, it's like I saw Black Lives Matter burned, try to burn down chunks of Washington, D.C. last summer. They lit the guardhouse of the of the White House on fire. There's pictures of, from a chopper of fires and riots throughout Washington, D.C. But they don't call that an insurrection because it's their friends that are doing it. They When, you know, a grandma from Iowa wanders with a Trump hat through the Capitol Rotunda, they call that an insurrection because it's their enemies that are doing it. Everything they do all is completely logically coherent, not in our terms of truth and honesty, but in their terms of friend versus enemy. Friends doing things is good and needs to be defended. Enemies doing things are bad and has to be destroyed. Well, and and in that in that guys, um, even though we made fun of this a lot, uh, it's a fun comparison because. A lot of people, I, a lot of people wanted to get very excited over a video of, uh, so the California recall election is happening and yeah, I don't know why people care. Like, okay. I get why people care about it in some aspects personally for someone like me who, you know, wants, wants to stick to the like Republican principle of smaller federal government, which means that there should be stronger state governments. I don't. I don't care about California's gubernatorial election because I don't live there. And I get that we want the win. But the point that I want to make here is sometimes we fall into the same kind of dumb category where we end up validating arguments on the left. And by that, what I mean is there was a video of Larry Elder, who's basically in the lead uh, for 
the Republican Party as far as the recall election against Gavin Newsom. So it's possible that the Democrat governor of California, Gavin Newsom, might get recalled and replaced by Larry Elder. And, you know, Larry Elder's a black conservative. He was a media personality. And he was, you know, doing a campaign stop. And some woman in a gorilla mask came running up and threw an egg at him. Okay, like, yep. I'm going to be honest with you. Uh, so uh, let's let's play the game a little bit. Because a lot of people went, oh, my God, if this was Stacey Abrams, you know, a black Democrat, this would be front page news all over, you know, the liberal media. You're right. Like, yep, it would it, be. Yeah. It, yep. A hundred percent. Has that argument ever gotten us anywhere? No. OK, well, I, I can't care too much about it then. So but let's play that game again. If it was Donald Trump. It would also be front page news, but from a different perspective. It yeah. would be the a, sign a of societal a anger. Crusade against racism throws an egg at Donald Trump. Right. And so there is a perspective to look at this because the media doesn't want to talk about it, but it's not because they think it makes the left look racist because they don't care about that. They're, 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 it's not that they literally don't want to talk about it because they don't want anyone to actually know who Larry Elder is or what he looks like. Because mm. one of the fascinating things that I've, that I saw was one of my favorite headlines because it, it proves to me it proves to me that the left really, really relies on the ignorance of their voter base, which is the they they call Larry Elder the black face of white supremacy. Now, it's a hilarious headline, but I wonder if you were to go out and do a poll and ask liberals in California if Larry Elder was a white supremacist, how many of them would just instinctively answer yes, because they don't even know simple things like the fact that he's a black guy. Right. But the point is, is I, I guess like I understand people wanting to point that out. What annoyed me about it and the reason why I'm bringing it up was people like I think they went a little too crazy with it because like. All that's we are supposed to be as far as what I'm told, we are supposed to be a party that looks at people as individuals. And so if every single time a minority candidate has something happen to them and everyone screams racism, all we're doing is validating identity politics. All we're doing is saying that, well, you know, it would actually be better if we just ran a, you know, black, transgender, disabled, uh, you know, woman for whatever office, because then at least half the time when they're attacked, we could scream some sort of victim thing. Yeah. Right. And so mm -hmm. I can't. I literally I, I can't. But it is. Don't misunderstand me that the things that are going on when it comes to the national media going after anyone involved in the recall election. I do think it is notable because what it does show is there is a weird amount of desperation coming from the left. Specifically, one thing that I was completely that I didn't know about is. Do you well? I'll ask. I'll ask you this, Alan. Do you remember ever seeing Obama campaign for Biden? No. And barely. Th didn't that seem really strange? At like, the time, not particularly. But I guess it it is it is strange. 
So for some reason, Obama's going to go out and campaign for Newsom in this recall. Hmm. And now we pointed this out last week, which is Diane Feinstein's probably going to retire because she's like a thousand and Mm -hmm. whoever's the governor gets to choose the replacement. And so I think that there's a panic because literally the power, (coughs) sorry. Um, If a Democrat gets put in her position, then the Senate stays, you know, 50, 50. If a Republican gets put there, it becomes a Republican Senate. And so I think that there's a lot of panic when it comes to the idea of whoever takes that position. But it's weird to see that, like, even Barack Obama is going to come and campaign for Newsom. So it's an interesting situation. But watching how the media reacts, because let's be honest, a lot of the media is based in New York and California. So to them, it's way more important. But it is kind of funny. And one of the things that Colleen's bringing up on the chat here is there was... Because of that incident, the gorilla masked girl throwing an egg, there was a headline about how the Los Angeles Police Department is investigating an assault claim involving Larry Elder. That's the headline. And the picture that they used was like a weird picture of him right after hugging a woman at a campaign stop and his hand is next to her face. And so it 100% looks like he's slapping her in the face. Interesting. And I just I like that because it's it's the best example of one, how the media knows for a fact that people look at a picture, read a headline and that's the news. That's what they got. And so people I wonder how many people in California think that there's an investigation by the Los Angeles Police Department because Larry Elder beat a white woman at a campaign stop. I don't know. Makes you wonder. And and. Yeah, like, I, I don't know. I just, I find that interesting. But I, I wanted to bring it up because it's it's funny. And, I, well, actually, I'll, I'll ask this question, Alan. If you're, if you're a, like, imagine that, that you're a minority in California, let's say. And let's say that you were all p- part of the whole Black Lives Matter thing. And somehow somebody does bring up the idea of first black governor of California. And that would be Larry Elder. That's supposed mm-hmm. to be the big deal. Let's say that, that that does actually appeal to you. And then you see how the media is treating him. Is there any way that for a regular person, it would transcend party politics that they would sit there? Is there any value to it? Because the the consultant class seems to think that there is value to it. Is there actually any value where some random person in California is going to see how Larry Elder's being treated and basically be like, wow, um, I guess they're racist. Do you think that that actually works? Do you think it's viable or do you think that they're more just like, oh, I don't care. He's a Republican. It might work with the minority population in California. But do do you think to any sizable amount, right? Because chasing potentially minority population potentially. So. You'd have to understand that where we currently sit in America, a lot of, let's say, black Americans have been have been preached at for nigh on 55 decades how America is a racist country and everything's racist and evil and they are the most put upon race. And it's 
oh, it's all so racist and it all is about hatred of black people. There's probably a lot of black people that maybe even believe that because the media keeps preaching it to them. It is possible then that if you do have a black candidate like Larry Elder, black Americans who have been told that they should value their tribal identity of being black above all other concerns by the media for their entire lives might actually act on those notions that they have been essentially presented with from every propaganda source and see Larry Eldon go, wow, a black man being um, a black man being put upon by a bunch of white people. He has to be on my team. So I think that that actually might be useful leaning into the identity, like the identity politics of the United States, or maybe I would more like more, it would be better to say the identity, the predilection towards identity politics is so prevalent within the American psyche now after decades of being propagandized into it by the media and Hollywood that it is inevitably going to it inevitably has to be considered as a factor in literally everything now. As much as we can say we don't want to play identity politics. That would be great, but that's also kind of like saying, I don't want to drink water with fluoride in it. Well, all the water has fluoride in it, so trying to not do that is a very difficult thing. Trying to not play identity politics anymore is almost impossible. Either you have to reject it so completely outright that people flock to your banner because of your rejection of identity politics, or you have to embrace it. But the, at the end of the day, that identity politics is a key point in American politics as a whole. Either it is your blatant rejection of it that gets you attention, or it is your adherence to it that gets you attention. But trying to pretend like the vast majority of Americans haven't been propagandized into valuing identity politics is a losing game. It is a core part of any strategy moving forward, forward, either by its refutation or by its acceptance. But you can, but there is no longer space in the United States for any political movement that doesn't have a strong statement on identity politics. Oh, no, I, I think that that's actually a really good and, and honestly a very moderate analysis of it because those are really the two sides. And you reminded me, uh, in saying that, because I, I don't want to appear dishonest. I don't I didn't actually see all of the tumult that I brought up with the whole like somebody whipping an egg at Larry Elder. I haven't seen reactions from Larry Elder, nor really his team. It's been the like pundit class of conservatism running out there and, and screaming the or like, oh, my God, can you imagine if the Demo if it was a Democrat, like, you know, the same old tired line um, that right. we always hear. Uh, but to I, I do want to give credit where credit's due. I didn't at least not that I'm aware of. I didn't actually see Larry Elder play victim to it. And so I do want to say that at least um, maybe he did and I didn't catch it, but I figured that that would be the more popular thing. I will give kudos that I didn't see him play victim because that would have that is the primary reason one reason why i will say that i have paid attention obviously to the california gubernatorial race i just 
emotionally don't care about it and don't think that I don't think people should care more about what's going on in California than what's going on in their own state. But I think I've made that statement already. I'm very happy to see that we're not talking about Caitlyn Jenner because I would have lost entire uh, like my my faith in the GOP nationally would have been severely wounded if Caitlyn Jenner became like their crowning achievement in California. Yeah, that would be pretty gross. Well, we we saw we saw national level people and I mean, I'll I'll flat out uh, call it out the um oh goodness, for life of me, I can't remember her name now. Uh, blonde female was on One American News Network and then ended up going over to Fox. Um, I'll think of her name, but Tommy Loren. Yeah, I have no yep, idea. Tommy Loren. That's it. Thank you. She 100% jumped on the Caitlyn Jenner bandwagon and started basically accusing anybody who didn't like Caitlyn Jenner of transphobia. And uh, also I, I, tiring. Yeah. And it, it's, it's be, and it's because there was, there were these, uh, when Caitlyn Jenner started running, there were a ton of people that were like, this is a stupid idea and the Republican Party shouldn't support this. The Republican Party shouldn't support Caitlyn Jenner as a candidate. And you got all of you got some of these people that were like, oh, the, the, the transphobic, like we accept everybody and blah, like just all of this, all of this idiocy. And yeah. I, I am fascinated by it because when we talk about like identity politics, my fear like, like, you know, as Alan correctly states, you know, you have to acknowledge its existence because it does exist. So either you're going to use it in some aspect of it or you have to directly refute it. The Caitlyn Jenner like situation with running for governor is the perfect example of what you should never, ever, ever do in the GOP. You should never, ever run a candidate just so you could scream because let's be honest. Nobody knows anything about the politics of Caitlyn Jenner. The only reason why there was any excitement was so you could turn around and go, see liberals, I'm not as hateful as you say I am. And that is the stupidest policy you could ever have in the history of ever. Because here's the secret, everyone. They're still going to hate you. And they're still going to say that you're a bigot. Right. Right. I mean, just remember. Larry Elder is the blackface of white supremacy. <laughs> I want that. No, I, I want, I want people in, I think the right wing could actually use more comedians involved in the actual strategy. And I want to see Larry Elder respond to that headline by doing a shot for shot remake of um the blind black Klansman skit from Dave Chappelle. Yeah. I don't know. That would be maybe, that would be good. Maybe it's more for my own entertainment, but I think that that would just be absolutely hilarious. Is just just do the Dave Chappelle like the the, the blind guy who joins the clan and doesn't realize that he's black. That would be hilarious. Anyway. But Speaking of, well, uh, on, on national things. So we, we talked a little bit. I want to go back actually to the vaccine mandates because there was something that was really interesting uh, that was released yesterday. And that is the fact that New York teachers. Okay. So New York, right? Like, you know, they're, they're the smartest people in the world. Um, 
New York teachers who cite medical conditions or religious beliefs keeping them from getting COVID-19 vaccinations must be allowed either unpaid leave or a severance package rather than being fired, according to an arbitrator's ruling seen by some as a blow to Mayor Bill de Blasio's mandate. The ruling from mediator Martin Scheinman says the city's teachers, for the most part, can remain employed until their application for refusing a vaccine or seeking a medical exemption is being heard, reports the New York Post. The decision came late Friday and found teachers who resigned because they refused to get shots also will not immediately lose their jobs, but will be able to take unpaid leave uh, while remaining eligible for health insurance. Further, the arbitrator ruled teachers who get their shots while uh, while they are on unpaid leave and provide proof before November 30th have the right to return to the same school they left as soon as practicable. So this is interesting because New York teachers were in court getting exemptions for vaccines. Interesting. So why are... And, and well, let's let's just be honest here. Why are a bunch of teachers out trying to get exemptions for vaccines? Similarly, there are reports that there are hospitals that have to close down departments because of resignations over mandatory vaccines. Interesting. And somewhat surprising, honestly. Yeah, like. This is why I think it's fascinating because, you know, we'll get to the deeper context of what Biden was really trying to do when it came to this mandate business, this deal. But there are actually like as much as the media. Well, I, I guess I'll just I'll just reveal the whole thing. The reason why Joe Biden did this was to shore up his base. When people people who. The people who listen to the media, which we may have to actually just start saying more and more often, uh, because there is a difference. They're like the majority of America doesn't listen to MSNBC or CNN. Like that's just that's just how it is. But people who listen to the media see unvaccinated and Trump supporter as synonyms. That is the entire right. reason behind the speech that Joe Biden gave, is because they have made unvaccinated and Trump supporter synonymous. And so this was an attempt for Joe Biden to shore up his base who all were suffering from regret over their vote over the last few weeks. And so he wanted to turn their ire towards, no, remember the big dumb magatards? Oh, geez, we hate them more. Right, guys? That that was a lot of why this happened and why it happened and when it happened. But what's what's interesting, that's that's something that can't be ignored is a lot of what's going on is they need to reinvigorate their base and get their base focused on something other than their own hypocrisy. Well, people, uh, a lot, a lot of Democrats are regretting. I mean, there's been polls that are out there uh, that have been released. What's well, I'll I'll give a couple of uh, indications. There was something there was a poll that was released that showed a vast majority of Democrats regretted voting for Biden after the Afghanistan withdrawal failure. Secondarily, CNN attempted to refute that poll to where they had to extend their timeline 
out 30 to 45 days to get him above a 50% approval rating. Oh, my. They had to go all the way back to early August to get a above 50% approval rating in their poll. Like, they just released the poll. The news story was like, you know, oh, you know, uh, what was it? Um, You know, Joe Biden still has a 51% approval rating. And then when people, like, looked at the poll itself, it went all the way back to something like August 7th. Oh, wow. They had to go that far back to get him above 50%. But the point of it is, is that look at the kinds of people that are trying, like there, there have been a lot of reports that came out that show people with PhDs are actually the most vaccine hesitant when it comes to COVID-19. Yeah. Fascinating, right? But if you ask, you know, everyday, you know, Joe six pack, it's going to be, well, no, it's those big, dumb Trumpy guys, you know, out there with their trucks and their Confederate flags. Right, guys? Yeah. And that has to be noted because think about this. You're now mandating this. I absolutely like there are a lot of people who probably voted for Biden, but aren't rushing to get the vaccine, which, by the way, would make some sense because when they were getting ready to go vote for Biden, they were being told by his vice presidential candidate to not get the vaccine because Trump had something to do with it. So it was obviously going to kill you. Well, that is very worrying. And so Trump, a vaccine. Oh no. (laughs) Like I'm going to be, this might be when if, well, let me phrase it this way. If this actually gets implemented, which I don't believe it will, I don't even think it was intended to be implemented. I think all of this was for the headlines. I think all of this was for the press attention. And they knew for a fact that it was going to get killed in the courts and governors were going to stand against it. Like all of this was going to happen. And I, I will make a note for, for instance, the Democrat governor of Kentucky stood against this bill. Mm-hmm. Like he flat out said that he is not going to enforce it. And so I have to point it out that, one, I I think that this was intended to die no matter what, and it was for the headlines. But if this were to get traction, and if this were somehow to start getting implemented, this might actually be one of the most unifying things to happen in the United States, because I think the vast majority of Americans in reality will not. I I think they're over it. I think that they've been over COVID for for a long time. And except for the people who get some sort of emotional thrill over virtue, virtue signaling in public, those are about the only people who give a shit about this anymore. And everyone just wants to move on with their lives. And there's no way to look at this and not see that the government is the only person who is still making this an issue. And the government is so, especially the Biden administration is so all over the place with their messaging that people can't see it as anything other than you just still want COVID to be a thing because it's important to you for it to be a thing. And no one's seeing that. Like, I guess I'll ask this, Alan. Do you think anyone's actually afraid of coronavirus anymore? I can't imagine that they would be. Well, and we'd kind of almost think less of them if they were. Well, and and notable is even if there was a reason to be, the media won't share death counts anymore. And that's what made it serious for people. People were obsessed with sharing the death count. 
They were obsessed yeah. with it. I mean, it was the biggest, biggest, greatest thing in the world was to talk about how many Americans were dead because because Donald Trump. Oh, well, Americans are dying. Oh, geez, that's just the worst. I want to see Come when on. the last time this was updated. <laughs> the death counts. Yeah. Like that, that was supposed to be a big deal, right? Yeah, it was. Like, I remember people talking about, oh, there's there's always people dying of coronavirus. It's a huge, like, they it was discussed as though it was this big event that was going to basically destroy the country. It was going to kill everybody. We're all going to die. I can't believe that people were so selfish and silly as to not wear a mask at the grocery store. Very silly. Since Biden took office... In eight months, if you want to believe the numbers, which we don't, I think the numbers are dramatically inflated. So if I'm going to be fair, but 241,000 deaths, Joe Biden has had half, has had basically 50% of the deaths that Donald Trump had in just eight months. Really? Yep. 241,023 deaths. If because because the Washington Post or not the Washington Post I'm sorry the Washington or Washington Free Beacon decided to create a Biden COVID death tracker so from the day that he took office they have tracked any deaths that have been listed as a COVID death and it's at huh. 241,000 now remember at the end of Trump's term the big deal was 500,000 people have died 500,000 people died of coronavirus because Donald Trump's a big meanie meanie monster that's uh, he's just the worst. And <sighs> Biden has already reached the halfway point roughly of that of those kinds of deaths in just 8 months. Amazing. But that's the whole thing is it it doesn't it doesn't matter. Right? And that's why they're not well, it, so don't don't misunderstand me. The media isn't not sharing the death because uh, the the death toll because they're afraid it's going to make Joe Biden look bad. It's because one the numbers were inflated. We know that for a fact. There were people who you know got into car accidents that were listed as COVID deaths. People who you know uh, committed suicide or had drug overdoses. We know that those numbers are false. The reason why right. they're not sharing it is the only reason they were sharing it in the first place was because Trump bad. So they're not sharing it right. now. But the problem is is that the Democrat party now wants to use the same scare tactic rhetoric, but they're not giving anybody any of the supposed evidence that they would need. It's just, Oh, Mm -hmm. cases are increasing, but no one's hearing about anyone dying. So like, who gives a shit? Yeah. Like, it's not like like cases. I don't care about cases. Yeah. Like everyone's like, Oh, okay. Like, well, I mean, you want to play the game of, there were no flu cases last year, and that just seems a little suspect, but we've already explained that. People are now going, well, okay, it, it makes it even worse because when they were spitting out those numbers, when they were like, oh, 500,000 deaths, you and I would keep repeating, uh, do you know anybody who's died from COVID? No. Do you know anybody who knows anybody? No. Yeah. Like, no. It was getting more and more difficult to find anyone who actually knew anyone who died of coronavirus. I knew one person who told me that they had a death in their family from COVID 
but the person also had cancer and was like 85. And I'm not joking. That's, sounds a little suspicious. If you so ask it's me. like, yeah, okay. They, they died of COVID, but that's like the same as they died of the flu and the flu doesn't become a pandemic. Yeah. So, but I don't know. It's, it's, it's one of the, I, long story short on this is I don't think, I think Americans are over coronavirus. I think that Biden, I think Biden inevitably has to stick his, um, cart to this horse. And well, to be honest, I I think it's going to be a lot like the Afghanistan retreat, uh, the, the withdrawal. He's going to jack this up. Their communication's not going to be good. And I think it's going to piss Americans off even more. I think you're right. I think it, that it's it's so far beyond the pale now that I just I don't think people are going to stand for it. I think the other notable fact of this is people. I don't I, I think that even the majority of Democrats see through the veil and know that this isn't they know that they're the elected leaders aren't serious about this either. And here's some good yeah. proof from the White House's press briefing the day after. Uh, this was on Friday. This was a question for Jen Psaki and her response, which I think proved to everybody that this isn't serious and that the the COVID thing is just BS for politics. Because here's how she responds to this question. Across the southern border into the country. Well, look, our objective is to get as many people vaccinated across the country as humanly possible. And so the president's announcement yesterday was an effort to empower businesses, to give businesses the tools to protect their workforces. That's exactly what we did. But certainly we want everybody to get vaccinated and more people are vaccinated, whether they are migrants or whether they are workers, protects more people in the United States. But it's a requirement for people at a business with more than 100 people, but it's not a requirement for migrants at the southern border. Why? That's correct. Go ahead. So it's not a requirement for, like, understand this. People who are coming across the southern border ending up in ICE custody, literally no requirement yeah. for them to get That's vaccinated. Weird. You, you could just vaccinate them. You could just do that. That's crazy talk. Like, I mean, they're in government, essentially government custody in an ICE facility. You couldn't possibly just give them a vaccine. Yeah, like, it's a really interesting question because who would get upset about that? I don't know. And so, I mean, what what progressives? I mean, would they get upset? What what would they be upset about? The only thing that they could be upset about is the idea that like what would it be? You can't force va- you can't force vaccinations on these poor immigrants. It's like well okay, so you're against forcing vaccinations? Yeah, pretty sure you're okay with that. So I don't understand why you're not doing that. It's a very good point, and it's <laughs> it's funny because. I love I love the line where we're empowering businesses. Uh, 
I, I wouldn't call a $14,000 fine for noncompliance empowerment. That's called force. You're forcing right? businesses. <laughs> like you're empowering businesses to get their, to get their employees vaccinated. What are you talking about? Like, yeah. How are you? That's in- bizarre. That does, that language doesn't make any sense. Yeah. It, what, but what's, what's amazing about it is that that language doesn't make any sense. So you obviously have to use that language because you know, it's already unpopular. You're right. trying to give talking points to like your dumb, like liberal, you know, propaganda nodes to say, oh, it's not, it's not forcing businesses. It's empowering them. Like what? Yeah. What? Like, oh, I feel so empowered with this $14,000 fine. Ooh, look at the empowerment, everyone. And you know, you know what I think would be, I'm going to say this. It's going to sound super mean. Understand where I'm coming from, everyone. I want to see businesses refuse. I want to see the Biden administration get pissed off that businesses are refusing. I want to see these businesses refuse to pay the $14,000 fine and all these fines start to rack up and all this other crap. And I want to see, I want the Biden administration to be forced into a situation where they have to quote, empower these businesses by sending the police in. Right. Because (laughs) look at Australia, look at France. This is the road that the Biden administration is heading down. And it is not popular literally anywhere. Oh, absolutely. It's insane that they're even, I don't know, it's just incredible that they're trying to do this and thinking that it's such a good idea. Oh, now, uh, well, so Debbie on our chat points out that the reason why the Biden administration wouldn't vaccinate migrants is that forcing an experimental vaccine on foreign nationals is against international law. Well, that actually is a pretty good assessment. Well, but to that point, do we really think the U.N. and the International Criminal Court and the WHO is going to go against the United States on the vaccine that they also want to push? That's what I mean when I say, like, who would be against this? Like, I think that's a good point. Mm-hmm. I I think it is one of those things that they don't want to open themselves up to the the conflict roughly. Like right. you said there there are regulations you can't give it to give you, know, oh. you can't you couldn't give these things to migrants basically under international rules. You really can't give them to Americans under the same sort of rules. Like it's a experimental medical procedure. I guess it's now it's authorized by the FDA. Uh, Mostly, it seems like they're playing actually, with fire, and they're only they're only doing things that they think they can get away with. So the real question is, why do they not think they could get away with the migrant one? The other answer possibly is they don't care. Well, now, one of the things is apparently Debbie's saying that that was supposed to be a question, whether or not it's a violation of international law. Oh, oh, I will say this. I will say this. I don't know. Yes, it would. 
could could there be filings in an international criminal court if somebody said you have to get this injection to come into my country and then they like wouldn't give you any medical background on it? Yes, 100%. Mm-hmm. The approval, as you just said, Alan, the vaccine that got the FDA approval isn't available yet. Ah, that's the funny part. So there was a vaccine that got FDA approval. It's just not the one that they have on the market right now. That's another way that they played like the fun little shell game. Interesting. Was, yeah, they, they got this approval, but it's, that's not the one on the market. And, but which, which reminds me of another interesting point. I saw a lot of people, uh, people like, a. Chris Siliza, who's the political editor over at CNN, uh, because because there's been so much, I don't know, so much panty wetting over like watching people try to defend Joe Biden attempting to do a vaccine mandate. By the way, the same people who said vaccine passports, vaccine mandates are not going to be a thing. Oh, my God. That's all a conspiracy theory. They're now defending it vociferously. And they're trying to do it with things like my nine-year-old son has to walk around in this world and these dumb, unvaccinated people. Oh, my God. Why can't <laughs> your son get the vaccine, Chris? Well, like I said, the vaccine does not prevent transmission. And it also doesn't prevent you from getting COVID. So they do have a case to complain about the unvaccinated. It's like, well, all these people aren't uh, essentially by saying he could still get it. And that makes them upset. And you're like, yeah, but he, he could get it from a vaccinated person, too. This to me, this betrays that the whole psyop of the vaccine has been to separate friend from foe. And I think that was a lot of the push to, for this vaccine was co-opted in this is how we're going to separate friend from foe. This is how we're going to continue to make COVID a problem. And our base is going to stay loyal to us because we're the ones that are promoting a vaccine that will solve coronavirus, whereas the other guys are going to be against it. Right. I think that after the last year, after 2020, after the disastrous Afghan pullout, after the giant Black Lives Matter riots, after all the COVID nonsense, the Democrat voting Americans of the United States, I think amongst them, there is starting to be serious doubts and skepticism directed at the left-wing movement and the Democrat Party. Or at the very least, it seems like the people in charge of the Democrat Party and the progressive left are very worried that their own base is going to start abandoning them or at the minimum asking questions and looking into the data that the right wing has. Their concern, which is probably a very reasonable one, is that if our base, if Democrat voting Americans, if normal people that have just voted their whole lives as Democrats that we solidly rely on continuing to support us, start to look at us with a skeptical eye, they are going to see things that they absolutely do not like. Most Democrat voting Americans are just normal people that vote Democrat because they just vote Democrat. When they start really looking at what they're getting with their vote, they're probably going to be upset. Once the spell is broken that they 
are told that they should just vote Democrat forever. If that spell ever breaks and they start really analyzing, like, do the Democrat parties actually, are they delivering good things to me? That is going to be a massive loss for the Democrats. I think Democrat strategists are worried that they have gotten so far removed and radical that, and they're so far off the mark in terms of truth and honesty and facts and the real science, all of it. They're so far removed from that now. Then that, you know, all of these things keep happening. Fauci keeps keeps lying and keeps getting caught in lies. The COVID nonsense keeps getting overturned by speculative research on act- the actual, you know, cures, the actual virus, the whole ivermectin thing, where it was basically blatant media lies about ivermectin as horse paste. These things, I think Democrat strategists are saying, we have dug ourselves into such a deep hole that if anyone doesn't realize that we're completely power-hungry madmen, they're absolutely, like, anyone paying attention will notice that. And so we have to react very proactively to essentially manipulate our voting base into not abandoning us. I, I think their strategy is our base sees what we're doing, and so they have to be more terrified of the right, and they have to be continuing to be driven into a hysteria of enemy versus friend, bad guys versus good guys, in order to keep them loyal. And if they, and I think the Democrat Party looks at it and thinks, if we don't do this, they will start listening to their right-wing neighbors, and that is going to destroy all of the work we've put into the media pushing a narrative. Because we're so easily caught and revealed to be lying. So I think this a lot of the vaccine stuff now is being is be is used as it's going to be used as a cudgel, not just to beat on the right, but to corral the left voter base back into the fold. This is why I think there's so much emphasis on COVID is only still a problem. Your life is still horribly affected only because these dumb Trump supporters not getting the vaccine. The reality of that doesn't matter. That's the line they're pushing in order to make their voters look at the situation and go, oh, it's just those dumb idiots that I've always been told to hate that are still the problem. I better keep voting Democrat. I better not, definitely not listen to what those dumb science deniers have to say. I think they're terrified that the, the their voters will start listening to us and so they're trying to poison the well as much as they can to ensure that, that that our arguments don't find any fertile ground. Well, it's also very auspicious that the announcement from Biden just so happened to come on the same week that The Intercept got a FOIA request fulfilled of 900 documents that proved that Anthony Fauci absolutely lied to Congress and that the National Institute of Allergies and Infectious Disease, of which Anthony Fauci is the head, 100% financed gain-of-function research in, on coronavirus. Sure. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, that has to be noted because here's the deal. Like, we have this worldwide global pandemic, and there's a lot of evidence that does point to the idea that there that something went wrong at this Chinese lab. That's why coronavirus happened. And it was 
the result of, for lack of a better term, the weaponization of a virus that was affecting bats. Yeah. Like, there are reasons to conduct gain-of-function research. It's not all evil and smoke-filled rooms. But what they do is they take a virus, for those of you who aren't aware, they take a virus and they find a way to make it transmissible to humans for the sake of developing prophylactics for if it were to ever jump species because we've had multiple viruses that have occurred, whether it's avian flu, you know, bird flu, uh, swine flu, like these things get these names because they are uh, viruses that jump the species barrier and then hit humans. And they've been particularly um, disastrous in Asia and the Middle East. So there's reasons why people would do this, uh, why why sure. they would look into how to stop viruses like that. But let's say that you're manipulating a bat coronavirus, making it transmissible to humans to study the effects of if that were to occur, and then your lab has a leak, which also is very common in China, and then all of a sudden it's, oh, you know that global pandemic? We made it in a lab. Yeah. Because the other official story is a snake bit a bat and then someone ate the bat or a snake bit a bat that bit a pangolin and then somebody ate the pangolin or is, you know, like that's the other story. The story could be when from the lab that was studying coronavirus that was weaponizing coronavirus against humans had an accident and it released this. That's still a more viable story than the someone ate a bat in a wet market where yeah. people eat bats every day and just somehow it created this giant epidemic. People, there are wet markets all across China. Yeah. Why did it, but why did it only occur at the one wet market? That's like a couple blocks away from the virology lab. That's utterly, it's so ridiculous of an assertion that we should have all just rejected it outright. It's like, no, no, it came from the place with the giant virology lab studying coronaviruses. Because right. of course it did, and any and it it's it would be it should have been on someone else to provide very convincing evidence that that was not the case. Yeah, and instead you were called a crazy person or a racist for suggesting. Yeah. It, but the point is, is I I think that there does need to be something pointed out to you know who's Joe Biden getting this advice from to suddenly do this giant you know mandate of employers. Well, it's possible maybe it came from Anthony Fauci and maybe a lot of this was spun up because Fauci's like, oh, God, I have to get my name out of the news cycle uh, because there are enough pissed off people that the Republicans might grow enough of a spine to actually come after me for perjury. Because, like, let's be honest, most people aren't afraid of, hey, you lied before Congress. And he goes, well, yeah, but that happens every day and nothing. Nobody does anything about it. Right. I mean, right. that was my reaction when the initial story broke on The Intercept was I would care about this if I thought the Republican Party would actually do anything. And I have no faith that they will. Yeah, that's also true. And maybe yeah. they will. We'll see. All these states are supposedly going to stand against it. I, I feel like that's exactly the point, though. I think they did this knowing there would be a giant backlash 
And I think that the plan that the plan of the Democrat Party and the Biden administration and the media is to then be to then point at that backlash and say, see, that's why coronavirus is still a problem, because these people haven't had their spirits totally crushed. We you need to give us we need to have the power to crush them so that we can stop coronavirus. It's sort of a this mandate is the stick they're using to beat the dog to make the dog bite them so they can then turn around and say, see, this is why we have to shoot the dog. No, right. Exactly. And I guess that's that's the next question, then, is do you think that the Biden administration has it in them or the Democrat Party in general has it in them to have situations like what we saw in that mall in Paris where police rushed in and were literally beating a woman with nightsticks because she was refusing to show her vaccine passport. I think they would want nothing more than that to be the reality. And And here's why Mm -hmm. I think they want the power to do that. They want nothing standing in their way to do that. If they feel it is necessary, if they feel that's desirable, they want nothing standing in their way. Do they actually want that? Do they want to, that doesn't really matter. I think it's absolutely clear what they want is the ability to deploy that level of force and coercion if they wanted to, if they needed to, against their enemies if they felt it was worthy. That's their real goal is to be able to have that at their disposal should they need it. If they want that tool, they want the ultimate power of that level of force to be deployed on whim more than they necessarily want to use that force. Now, I'm sure they'd be thrilled if they could declare racism a public health crisis and anyone that voted for Trump gets beaten by the cops. I'm sure they would be thrilled with being you have with having that, but it's more that they can deploy that as a threat to if you oppose us, we can have the police beat you with nightsticks in the streets and no one can do anything because it will be legal. They want that as a threat more than they want want to do it in the moment because when they can deploy it at will it's a threat they can use to stifle all political uh resistance more than just the political resistance of the moment well and and to that i guess to that point in some ways the after effect so everybody, uh, you know, because they'll try to hide it. We'll, we'll get into things that the Biden administration's tried to hide in just a second, but they'll try to hide it. You get, but you get social media exploding with a video of, you know, cops in the U.S. going and beating a woman with nightsticks because she's, you know, or let, let's just say, like, let's say it's a female business owner because let, let's keep it as, mm-hmm. a, you know, cops beating a woman because that's more shocking. Let's be fair. Um, sure. but let's say she's a business owner who refuses to pay the fines and whatever, and isn't going to mandate vaccines for her, you know, store and then police rush in and start beating her with nightsticks. Do you think that that's like that happens? I don't see America, like, I don't see Americans going, this is fine. They might yeah. do that. They might do that in other situations. Don't don't misunderstand me. Like there might be other situations where if it were like, you know, a Trump rally 
and the cops rush in and start beating people with nightsticks, liberals everywhere would celebrate it as protecting democracy. Don't misunderstand me. I think that particular one of the vaccine thing, I just don't see even Democrat voting Americans going, no, it's totally fine for the cops to beat this woman with a stick because she didn't want to pay a $14,000 fine over vaccines. So the question would be, would the mainstream media pick up that video and make any discussion of it? Or would they try to bury it and not talk about it? Oh, and I think that's what you would see. Anything that would embarrass the liberal message, they would just not talk about in yeah, the they hopes would certainly, that their own base wouldn't recognize it. They would certainly bury it. And this is actually a good segue into the, the other, the last topic that we have for the show today. But they would certainly bury it, but it would be unavoidable at a certain point because let's be honest social media drives the news cycle the news cycle doesn't drive the discussion anymore the discussion right. on social media drives the news cycle now they they may still completely ignore it but okay right but what i what i guess I'm, what i'm getting at is if they can declare any political action a public health crisis and deploy the police in riot gear to brutally suppress it even if you get videos of that on the internet and people get outraged, what are they going to do? Have a demonstration where the police show up and beat them with nightsticks? If that sort of thing it gets ensconced into legality on the basis of the Democrat Party says it's a public health crisis, then it almost they are building the scenario where it doesn't matter if normal people get outraged because those people can have the state show up and crush them with violence. It's essentially the same as what Antifa does whenever the right wing tries to have a peaceful protest. Antifa, which is Democrat Party-sponsored violence, shows up and is violent. It means that it reduces the ability to have any kind of political action because the state is sponsoring violence to brutally suppress you, whether that is Antifa as a Democrat paramilitary organization, or whether that is the police using public health laws. Their goal is to be able to push violence on normal citizens who oppose them on the auspices of of public health or racism or any of these things, because that will reduce the, the, like, how angry would you have to get to face down troops in riot gear? And if you, and if you hit a police officer, the Democrat judges will come down on you and destroy your life. You'll lose your job. You'll be thrown in jail. You'll do all these things, even if your pro- even if your protest was for the Constitution or for the First Amendment or for any of these things. It re- makes it so the barrier for people to get involved in any political resistance gets exponentially higher. People will say, "I have a family. I can't get involved in this political issue." Even if it's to protect liberty, because the Democrat Party and their control of the police through public health codes will ensure that my kids get taken away after they determine that I'm a COVID risk. People will essentially it would be a method to cow people into into fear through essentially a reign of terror. And it works. That sort of thing is effective and does work. And that is the terrifying aspect about it. So, so like, you don't think that there would be a, well, okay, understanding everything you're saying, and yes, like, that's that's already kind of occurring, right? Is mm-hmm. we kind of look th- sit there and say, you know, like, 
why aren't there large scale protests uh, over like mask mandates in states that uh, instituted them? And the simple response to that is, of course, there's not because nobody feels like they would be protected. Antifa shows up when when there were. Say again. Because Antifa would show up and the police would allow them to brutalize you. And if you raise a hand against them, you will find yourself in jail. There's that. And then there's also just look at what happened with the anti-lockdown protests. Yep. They, they had already started the whole, like, it's the Boogaloo boys. It's terrorisms, guys. Yeah. It, it's the same people as January 6th trying to overthrow the U.S. government. They need to be treated as terrorists and their lives need to be destroyed. So, yeah, the reason it's so hard to push back at any of these things is because the Democrat Party is intentionally trying to make it impossible to oppose them without sacrificing everything. And the vast majority of people have too much to lose by any real political opposition, including the majority of the GOP. If, if there was some sheriff that said, I am refusing to follow this COVID measure the media would then try and destroy that sheriff. And it, I mean, they would try and get it, make it. So his entire office is probably declared terrorist or terrorist groups that aid and abet an insurgency. And then we can employ the entire global war on terror toolkit to violate his civil rights legally. That this is the goal. And this is also why it's so hard to oppose because they, we legally have a toolkit all all the anti-terror legislation that they are desperately trying to get applied to anyone that opposes COVID measures, which truly equals the Democrat party agenda. Right. And and so, well, and so the long story short on that is the responsibility entirely falls on the elected leadership, which is kind of purpose, right? Like, The purpose of a representative republic is people shouldn't have to worry about putting their livelihoods on the line for just wanting to live their lives. Right. This is why it's going to take a a coordinated effort from both the voter base, from the voter base on up. The people that we elect have to feel confident that they can oppose these things, that they have a they, they have a, basically a safe zone that they can retreat to, that the sheriff that wants to stop the federal government from coming in and taking the kids of someone that's a, a anti-lockdown protester who's being accused of public health crimes, that sheriff has to feel confident that the community will back him up. The city council that wants to oppose mass mandates has to feel confident that the community will back them up. The politician the, say, congressman or senator that wants to vote against further lockdown measures or wants to vote for a bill that outlaws vaccine mandates has to feel confident that their base is behind them. There's only so much we can do about those things, but that, I think, is the core problem that we're really facing, that it is a lot of the people that we rely on that have the power, that need to exercise that power to protect us, are at least being told by either their advisors or the media or even a legitimate assessment of their position that they cannot put their neck on the line to exercise power against the predators coming trying to destroy us because they're in too risky of a situation themselves. 
I think the Democrat, the Republican Party somewhat lies to themselves about that, saying, well, the media is not going to like us. I think they're discounting for a number of reasons the potential they have to really oppose a lot of these things and how popular it would be with their base. But I think that it all comes down to elected representatives with legitimate political power have to be our first line of defense. Right. And one of the things that you brought up when we were when we first started discussing this was the, you know, would the media even cover it? You know, the the uh, hypothetical situation of, you know, some business owner just getting beaten by the cops because they refuse to comply with a covid mandate. Yeah. Um, similar where there's good things that occur, but we know for a fact that obviously the media is going to try to hide it is the reports that came out, which we, we talked about what, a couple weeks ago now where there was a drone strike where yeah. the Biden administration claimed that they took out a, an ISIS terror, an ISIS terrorist that was on their way with a vehicle born IED that was going to go detonate at the Kabul airport. And like the day it happened, we were putting out on social media and everything that that was not the case. They killed a family. Yeah. And according to reports that are coming out now, it was supposedly an aid worker who got killed in the mm. drone strike as well as like his children. Ooh. Now I have to paint a bit of a picture here because there was an attack. It killed 13 personnel. Obviously everyone's aware of that. Then like a day later, the DOD claimed that it took, took out two ISIS terrorists. Well, sorry, there was an attack and they told us that it was the responsibility of ISIS K, which no one had yeah. ever heard of before. Right now, I'm not saying that there wasn't ISIS in Afghanistan. There was. And perhaps somewhere in the intelligence community, they were referring to them as ISIS Khorashan or ISIS K. Maybe that's true. But nobody in the media, nobody in America had heard of ISIS K before. It's yeah. just what I'm what I'm saying is just out of nowhere. The administration and the press went, oh, yeah, it's ISIS K, which we've totally all known about before today. Right, guys? Yeah. So no. not going to lie. Sounds kind of made up. I'm not saying that ISIS in Afghanistan is made up. I'm saying that they made it up, that this was totally something that they were aware of and tracking. Well, at the very least, they then said they drone strike the guy. They then they said they, they but they refused to release the names well, of no, the no, guy. Yeah, that's, that's what yeah. I mean is the 13 personnel get killed. Then suddenly it's belonging to ISIS K, which the media never spoke of before. Then a day later, and the very next out... day, we're drone striking the guy. Say again? The very next day. Yeah, oh, no. so no, there's an attack. And the very next day, it's, oh, it's ISIS K and we're drone striking him and nothing to see here, folks. Yeah, we're we're going to take out we took out two personnel that were planners or something involved, but we're not going to tell you who they were. We just totally did it. We totally took out these two people that were involved in the in the attack from ISIS-K 
but we're not going to tell you who they were, but it totally happened and you should believe it. Mission and, accomplished. And, and when people started wondering about that, all of a sudden it was, oh, we did a drone strike in Kabul against an active attack that was occurring right then and there. And that turned out to not be someone in ISIS. It turned out to be like regular Afghan guy and his family. Womp womp. So good thing they that. didn't release the names. Say what? Good thing they didn't release the names because they might not have actually known them. Yeah, like that's if, the weird. If part. they knew the names, they probably would say, "Oh, yeah, no, that guy's just a normal dude with his family in his car." So, well, and, and I, I, I want to make make sure that it's it's clear that these are three separate events. Yeah. So. The DOD won't tell us who the supposed ISIS planners are that they took out. But we also watched them lie their ass off when the only reason, let me make sure people understand. The only reason why we know that the drone strike killed a family with children was because there was an independent journalist nearby. And he posted video and reports on social media. So just understand that if that guy wasn't there, you wouldn't have heard about it. In fact, what we know for a fact is that the Biden administration would say, we took out a a vehicle-borne IED that was on its way to the airport. They would have just said that. That would have been the report. CNN breaking news, the Biden administration conducted a drone strike on a car that was headed for the Kabul airport. Uh, that was a the names. Of, the names of the insurgents are not being released at this time, but it's definitely a gold star for the Biden administration in its troubled Afghan drawout. Exactly. That would have been the report if there wasn't an independent journalist on the ground who was like, oh, my God, I just watched a drone blow up a car full of children. Yeah. So the question is, what were these other strikes? Were they also just strikes against random Afghans? And then they, and we simply just don't have eyes on the ground correcting the record? Or how do we know that the original attack was even by ISIS K? The fact that the DOD seems to be lying about this throws into question their entire narrative on this attack on the Afghan airport that killed a bunch of Marines. Yeah. Well, and the the other the other side of that, too, is do we have any proof that there were even these two other strikes? They just like told us like, oh, yeah, we totally took out like two dudes. It totally happened, but we're not going to tell you their names. Do we even know that there was actually even anything that happened? Yeah. Did they even fire a missile at anything or did they just say it? And honestly, at this point, do you trust the Biden administration to be honest about this thing or does it seem how likely does it seem that they would just blatantly lie about something like that to curry favor with the American public and push up the the ratings of the administration well and that's well especially with how obsessed over optics they are but one of the other things that has to be asked in in that in that vein is they just claimed it was ISIS K but they can't see like here's the deal they won't tell us who they hit with the first strikes the other strike killed like somebody who's not affiliated with isis and his family 
so the next question has to naturally be who like like you just said like what was this even isis because if you knew who did it then you probably know a lot about the organization through your intelligence so the question then has to be who did you actually hit because i or or who actually pulled off the attack because it seems like if you could name it you're like oh we absolutely know that it's this isis affiliate in khorashan which is where the k comes from and we know that because we know all their leadership we're you know we're currently monitoring their activity and that's how we know so okay then it would suggest that you would at least be able to drone strike someone involved and the fact that you're not actually able to hit anyone involved makes me immediately suspicious that maybe the Biden administration does know who was involved in the attack, but they want the American people to just not know, like they don't want people to know who it actually was, which makes yeah. me, or, or, or the other option is that they literally have no freaking idea who it was. And that leaves to me the prospect that this attack was carried out by the Taliban or remnants of the Taliban. And sure. obviously the Biden administration can't say that because then people are going to be like, well, we shouldn't leave. Or the other side of it is what if it was pulled off by Al Qaeda <laughs> and Biden's whole argument about it's totally okay that I botched this withdrawal because we got rid of Al Qaeda. And so we don't need to be in Afghanistan. Like it doesn't matter that he screwed up the entire withdrawal because we shouldn't be in Afghanistan. That seems to be his talking point. Yeah. At, at the very least, it seems like something ha when you look at the attack on U.S. troops, the responses to it from the administration and the supposed actions by the DOD, including killing this aid worker, killing these kids, blowing up a car for a family – it definitely seems like something about the whole story stinks, and I certainly do not trust the administration to tell me the truth about this. It seems like they were trying to basically do damage control and cause everybody to just not to just forget about this whole series of events that and not focus on what really went down. Like, oh geez, there's an attack that killed 13 Marines. That's a big deal. The deadliest attack it's like the deadliest day in afghanistan since 2011 that's a huge deal but don't talk about it, anybody don't think about it don't look at it we got the guy the next day it was isis k is totally fine well, we drone strike the dudes it's, it's great everything's fine don't stop ta stop talking about afghanistan please yeah and that's i mean that's the primary amount of it is the entire effort is stop talking about afghanistan now that doesn't mean that some of this stuff like the vaccine things aren't important but we also have to make sure that like they're doing everything in their power to get people to not talk about the things that obviously show how incompetent the biden administration is but um unfortunately that's going to have to be it for the show today so uh we'll be cutting out but we will be back next week so be sure to go over to subscribestar.com forward slash wrong think radio where for 2.99 a month you can help sponsor this program and Keep the lights on, as it were, and make sure to <laughs> obviously share this with your friends on social media and let everybody know what's really going on. I'm Aaron from the East Coast. I'm Alan from the West Coast. And this is Wrong Think Radio. See you all next week. <laughs>